0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. You need to drill for oil to get it. I talk about oil. I talk about diesel. And that's why we call this show Drilling Deep. We also have a guest of the week who we drill deep with. And this week, the term deep and our guests are not really in sync. He's Carl Philhauer. He's the vice president of sales and operations at Circle Logistics. And he's going to speak to us about the current barge situation on the Mississippi River, where the water is most definitely not deep. What do restricted barge movements mean for trucking? Carl will be here to talk about it. In talking about oil, I want to revisit something I mentioned a few weeks ago, probably mentioned it more than once, but I think it needs retelling. There has been a lot of political hay made over the fact that crude oil prices have eased from their highs of a few months ago, but that gasoline prices have not dropped as much. There are tweets out there showing that when the crude price a few years ago was at this level... The average retail price of gasoline was a lot lower than it is today. That is being put forth as a sign of gouging, because the U.S. Could, the, because the U.S. driver consumes gasoline and not diesel, which is not the situation for a lot of European drivers. These politically driven tweets and memes focus on gasoline and not on diesel. Imagine what they would be like if they did focus on diesel. We had a tremendous. We had excuse me. We had a reminder of how strong diesel is this past week. When the EIA comes out on Mondays with its weekly diesel price that is used for most fuel surcharges, it comes, it also comes out with a whole range of average retail gasoline prices as well as some regional diesel prices. There are national prices and there are regional prices. And the spread between the average national retail gasoline price and the diesel price this week was about $1.45 per gallon. And that is the highest ever By a lot. In 2019, the last year that we had, that we were clear of any impact from the pandemic, that spread averaged about 36 cents for the year. Diesel about 36 36 cents higher than the price of gasoline. One factor for that spread that gets cited a lot is a loss of refining capacity. It isn't just a local phenomenon. The U.S. has lost about a million barrels a day of capacity from 2020, according to EIA data. And then internationally, A lot of new construction in other parts of the world was slowed by the pandemic. We're still, still feeling the effects of that. That's one of the reasons why the refining industry was such a a miserable business to be in in 2019, the last full year of no pandemic impact. If you look at, if you took the spread of Brent crude against what is known as Arbob gasoline on the CME commodity exchange, it was negative for the year. The other day it was positive 27 cents per gallon gasoline but if refining capacity were the main reason why product prices have raised the head of crude the impact would be roughly equal for both gasoline and diesel and that most definitely has not happened that is most evident in that spread of the, that Eia spread that I mentioned a dollar45 diesel over gasoline versus about 35 cents three years ago when I said the spread on CME for gasoline the other day was about positive 27 cents it was about 75 cents for diesel And that keeps bringing us back to IMO 2020. To recap, it's an international rule administered by the International Maritime Organization to reduce sulfur in marine fuels. It went into effect in 2020, and in the months leading up to it, there was concern that it would impact diesel prices right away. The reason for that fear back in 2019 was that an intermediate product called vacuum gas oil, which is often used to make finished diesel, was instead going to have some of its supply diverted to make fuels compliant, marine fuels compliant with IMO 2020. That was the theory, but it never really got to get tested because of the pandemic. It's getting the test now. And the fact is, the theory is being proven correct again and again. You see it in that crazy spread at the pump between diesel and gasoline. Numbers you've never seen before. There are some other factors in that spread, like changes in crude quality, But IMO 2020 is the culprit, and I feel satisfied to say that you are seeing that commentary more and more in the market. They can see, uh, analysts and commentators can see, that the numbers have changed, and they want to know why. Increasingly, they are focusing on IMO 2020. It didn't affect gasoline. It does affect diesel. Going to move on here on Drilling Deep, a very, very timely guest this week. His name is Carl Philhauer. He's the vice president of sales and operations at Circle Logistics. And he is, again, to, to use the word timely, we are going to talk about the Mississippi River, which is a lot lower than it should be. The measurements are uh, down now in the negative numbers. That doesn't mean there's no water, but it's kind of a negative to a, to a norm. Uh, at Memphis, where which obviously is a key measurement point, there was a record low a couple of days ago. It's not projected to get any better, barring some unexpected massive storm that comes through the Mississippi Valley Basin. And Carl's going to talk about what this is impacting, how this is impacting barge movements, and then how, by, by uh, extension, how it's going to impact truck movements that might serve some of those barge movements. So, Carl, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thanks, nice John. First, can you talk a little bit about Circle Logistics?
1: Yeah, Circle Logistics is uh, about an 11-year-old company, and we're headquartered out of Fort Wayne, Indiana.
0: We act as both a carrier as well as a freight broker
1: and a uh, full-service 3PL. We do a lot of business within the United States. We're growing rapidly, and we're starting to do a lot more business in Mexico as well. The bulk of our business today is, is truckload in uh, point A to point B within the U.S. and or Mexico and Canada in the truckload side. Uh, we touch a number of other points, but I mean, basically, we are a truckload provider at this stage. And,
0: and do you have any particular interaction with the kind of sectors that are being impacted by these barge delays these, and these barge restrictions?
1: Uh, we, we do in some respects. Uh, the, the barge restrictions and delays and the cost increases uh, in moving commodities via the barges uh, has a trickle-down effect into over-the-road trucking. In that it, it will chew up additional capacity and it pushes trucks out of their normal paths. Uh, mo- most of the trucks that are involved with hauling commodities are, are generally owned and operated by large farm operations or farm hands that maybe have their own authority and they own one or maybe two trucks and they truck during part of the year and they move different types of grain and bulk commodities at harvest time. So the downstream effect of what's going on with the barges will chew up some of the capacity we rely on. We get, we are starting to haul more and more commodities with that use specialized trailers. And so that's gonna be affected. And, and we're getting into that market fairly quickly. If you look at the total commodities bulk market, the bulk of that those that freight is hauled by these large farm operations. And there's probably several dozen truck lines that specialize in that. But there's a limited amount of drivers, as everybody knows, and there's a limited amount of the type of equipment needed to haul uh, grains and, and different types of farm commodities. So uh, what could be happening if there's a huge shift to truck is there's going to be an equipment shortage as well, or the equipment's not going to be properly aligned on top of having the driver issues. Um, if you look at uh, the, the problem today based on regulatory issues, our government's actually doing a pretty good job of it making adjustments on the fly. I think just this, within the last week, the states of Oklahoma and Missouri have um, made exemptions for people hauling hay and other commodities. They uh, they put in ex- exemptions in place for weight and for height of loads and width of loads to try to help uh, the flow of goods uh, become a little bit more efficient. Um, so, and we're we're dabbling in that market as well. So. There is a trickle-down effect that can be pretty drastic. At the end of the day, uh, the effect of the barge problem and the increase in barge rates because of low water is going to have an effect on everything we do in the U.S. from, from a commodities costing standpoint.
0: Let, let's talk about how commodities are, are packed into a truck, because obviously I can understand how they can be loaded into a barge, which is sort of, sort of essentially built for a, a commo- you know, bulk commodities. But if, let's say, a truck goes to a farm and is going to pick up soybeans, how is that loaded? How is it packed and then transported to the barge uh, drop-off center or maybe now somewhere else if the barge is not going to move?
1: It's loaded in a number of ways. Obviously, uh, in some uh, instances, they use hopper trailers and bulk trailers that can be loaded from the top, and they're either side dump trailers and or they can, they can offload from the bottom, from some sort of a, a spout in the bottom of like a hopper trailer. When you're talking about moving it in vans, uh, so a 53-foot van or even an ocean container, It's either going to be loaded in large gaylords or large sacks that sit on top of a pallet and and move in in that regard. But in most cases, if it's export, we'll bring a container, whether it's a 20-foot or a 40-foot container, right to the farming operation or to uh, a co-op or a silo or wherever that particular commodity, soybeans as an instance, is, is bulk stored. And they will literally just blow soybeans and or other commodities into the trailer uh, and then move it from there. So as an example, if you're moving uh, soybeans out of the Missouri uh, area or, you know, that St. Louis area along the Mississippi, chances are some of it's going to go into a barge and go downriver. But part of it is going to go into containers and then go to the West Coast uh, for export. So anything that goes to China or anywhere along the Pacific Rim or the Asian market generally is going to be exported out of the West Coast. In which case, they are going to bulk load it in just a straight twenty foot or a forty foot container, close the doors, put it on a train, bring it to the uh, bring it to the port, and in a way it goes. So there's multiple ways to load it in dry van and or dry containers.
0: So the movement of that those soybeans, not on the, the ones that are. Being put on a, on a rail car and hauled to the west coast, the movement of those barges or the, the movement of those soybeans. We'll, we'll use soybeans because it's a perfect example. Uh, is going to be somewhat limited mileage wise because for the most part you're going to take it from your farm to some kind of barge loading center on the Mississippi or a tributary of the Mississippi to get it to get it southbound. Uh, to New Orleans, where it's exported all over the world. Uh, What kind of mileage extensions are you seeing now as a result of this? At what point is it just gets too far uh, to make any sense moving it in a truck?
1: My guess is at about 125 miles, it's going to start to be somewhat cost prohibitive. You know, obviously commodities move from the farm to some sort of a co-op or marketing company that's got bulk storage. And then usually that primary bulk storage is going to load it onto a barge or onto a train where it's going to move again in bulk, either to a river or to some other port or some other destination that a truck may touch it again. A truck is going to touch it at the first part of the first leg of that move, no matter how you look at it. It's going to be put on some sort of a truck to leave the farming operation and get to a bulk storage. When you're talking about moving down river, uh, and and if, if you had to shut off the Mississippi completely be, to barge traffic, it, what's going to happen then is, is the price increases are going to be much higher than they are today. When you're moving that first leg or you're moving anything on specialized equipment, most of the time you're being charged round-trip miles. Because it, if, if a driver's got a hopper truck and he's moving bulk commodities to a bulk storage facility... They're generally not going to be able to reload that trailer and have a backhaul, so the pricing structure of that usually dictates that you're paying for all of the miles to and from wherever that truck is going. So 125 miles really means it's a 250 mile route because the truck's going to go back to that operation to pick up the next load. So for every mile, you can you can multiply that by two from a cost standpoint for the trucker. It be, it is either going to become cost prohibitive. To move it multiple miles, I'm talking when you get 150, 200 miles on up, or there's going to be a huge effect on the price, you know, the, the bulk pricing of that commodity.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to figure out what the, what the cost comparison is because, as, you, as, as if you said, the Mississippi is shut down, then there's no really cost comparison with barges because barges are effectively zero. You can't move them at, at all. So then really the question is how much is, does the truck cost? that that calculation is being done in a market where rates are falling and then how many miles you got to go. So there's a lot of moving parts and it's probably not the kind of calculation in normal times you ever really have to do. You're going to take a short haul to the loading port on the, on the river and then turn around and go home. You're not thinking about driving all the way down to new Orleans.
1: Right. That's exactly right. And, and if you look at uh barge traffic from a capacity standpoint, a fully loaded barge is the equivalent uh, – well, let me let me back up. One tugboat
0: can usually push 15 or right around 15 barge
1: containers that are fully loaded up and down the river. Those 15 containers equate to somewhere in the neighborhood of 225 freight train cars or 850 to 900 truckloads. So uh, the economy of scales was really working against the costing model when it comes to commodities, because if barge traffic was shut down completely, one fully loaded barge is close to 900 truckloads. And, and when you're talking about round trip miles, hundreds of miles at a time, that's going to have a pretty great effect on, on the costing of commodities.
0: Now, in your own business, are you starting to see a lot of interest in this? Are people just kind of kicking tires now? Or are you seeing this, this, this routing actually getting booked?
1: Um, what, what I think is going on, so we're not seeing any huge effect on the general
0: commodity or the, not commodity, but the general freight market. We're not seeing that, even though we know it's
1: there. There's, there's a shift in these small mom and pop companies on where they're putting their trucks to help alleviate some of the problem. But we haven't seen a huge effect yet. What, what, what's being affected is the cost of, of, of the barge service is up 200% in the last year. And, and that's due to two things fuels, watered, but fuels, not the big part of it. I believe the costing of a barge is really effective because they can't fully load barges because they sink too far down into the river. So there's just not enough clearance to push a fully loaded barge into certain parts of the Mississippi River and and into the tributaries that feed the Mississippi River, like the Ohio, the Missouri, and there's several others that are, are large traffic rivers when it comes to barge. So we're not seeing it directly yet, but we do see the shift in the availability of some of that farm equipment and the costing because of that. Even though it's minor, it might be a a two to 3% shift of where the trucks are going, that will have an effect on an already taxed marketplace when it comes to transportation. Um, Right now we're, we're kind of lucky because the capacity crunch that we saw six months ago is lightened up and we're actually seeing a huge reduction in the capacity crunch, so there's more trucks available. So we're not seeing the effect in general freight pricing yet.
0: Yeah. So six months ago to try to get a kind of like almost like a new market. And really, this is like a new market. It's temporary, but it would be a new market to try to get a new market into the the trucking market of six months ago would have just been almost impossible. But now there's a lot more capacity out there. Maybe it's doable.
1: Yeah. For, for now, I think it is. If this is a short term problem, we, we lucked out in that uh, commodities move most heavily at harvest time. And and so the timing could have been better for the barge challenges to have occurred. So if it's short term and we're able to redredge or if the drought starts to lessen, uh, we're gonna be okay. But if this drought situation we have based on global warming and whatever else is going on, if that continues year over year over year, uh, costs will continue to go up and there will be a problem.
0: Yeah, let's point out, too, that the, some of those basins can benefit from, obviously, wouldn't be hurricanes by the time it'll hit the Ohio River Valley, but it could be, let's say, the remnants of a hurricane, remnants of a tropical storm that can dump a tremendous amount of rain. But the, the hurricane season formally ends on November 1st. As we're recording this, that's less than a week away. So there's not going to really be any relief from the dissipation of a hurricane across the Ohio Valley, the Tennessee Valley, et cetera. That ship, not the I guess, that, I guess I could say that this is a pun, an intended pun. That ship sailed.
1: <laughs> correct. You're correct. Yeah.
0: Um, so, uh, you know, let, let's talk about some specific restrictions. Uh, the Coast Guard now has a restriction of nine feet of draft. I've been told that a draft normally is 12 to 13 feet, 12 to 14 feet in a barge, and also a limitation of five barges across. I've been told that it can be as many as six or seven barges across. You talked about 15, but some of the bigger ones can be six or seven across. And then I guess three or four deep. So that is a significant loss of capacity. And you need a lot of trucks to fill that hole with still there's There's, there's no way, even if even with a lower uh, truckload rates out there, there's no way that you're going to beat the efficiency of, of barge movements. It's it's going to be higher transportation costs to get soybeans down to New Orleans. Correct.
1: Correct. correct. Yeah, absolutely. And, Uh, To be clear, though, the the trucking will be involved in the effects of capacity within trucking and the costing model within trucking will be involved. But if you look at efficiencies of of the different services, barge barge movement is probably the most efficient and the most eco-friendly movement there is from a fuel usage standpoint. Uh, From a timing standpoint, it's slow. You know, it's it's the old slow boat theory. You know, uh, boats don't move as fast as trucks and trains. But as, as barges uh, have to reduce their capacity in order to go up and down the river, the first diversion of that movement is going to go to trains. And, and so the rail system is also going to become somewhat clogged because of that. And uh, the rail system will probably see an increase in business because of it in those lanes that run along rivers trucking is going to be the final move. Trucking will be affected. I don't think it's going to be affected uh, from a capacity and or from a a total volume standpoint as rail would. But again, the trickle down is 15 barges on one tug goes to 200 and some trains, goes to 800 and some some trucks. So the, the math on that alone, it's not going to take much movement at the barge level to affect train transportation and then also
0: trucks. Yeah, those are those are pretty amazing numbers. Just in general, let's talk about the trucking market uh, in, in general. I mean, from your perspective, how much has it weakened from we, – we, we know we have freight waves, have a lot of numbers. There's plenty of numbers out there showing how much it's weakened, but maybe you can just give us your perspective on uh, how much the capacity increase has been, which is obviously a function of a weaker market. Yeah, we, we've – the struggles we had in, in other companies in our same position as a 3PL or a broker or a
1: carrier have had the struggles from 6 months ago are gone rates are coming down trucks are easier to find and and because of that it's easier to move freight you know we've we've talked for the last 15 years about the driver shortage and and some of the latest news coverage we've seen shows that we're still short 80,000 drivers in this country in regard to trucking, and we've been short 60 to 80 thousand drivers for 15 years. But guess what? The freight keeps moving, and we seem to always make things work. The the struggle is with with a shortage of drivers. We do spend more money repositioning trucks to pick up freight when needed. So, deadhead miles on the front and the back of many moves have increased. Uh, a well-run carrier tries to keep their deadhead miles far below fifteen percent, below ten percent, and if they're really run well, it's going to be between five and five and ten percent, depending on the type of operation. Deadhead miles will be affected uh, based on capacity as well, because you're repositioning, and uh, everything plays into that: the driver shortage, shortage of types of equipment, repositioning of the equipment, in how the the shipping customers are setting up their transportation purchasing. You know, are they using dedicated fleets that are basically gonna be 100% dedicated trucks to them or are they outsourcing to common contract carriers that are doing one way moves? Um, it, it's all so intertwined that it does not take much of a change in capacity and or in volume of shipments to have uh, a negative effect on rates and charges.
0: Yeah, and clearly we've seen that. I, I think the 80,000 number took on a life of its own. But I, as you pointed out, the market, the industry always seems to eventually get enough drivers. It's a challenge. Uh, the numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed that after that big plunge in number of total truck transportation jobs after April 2020, uh, they were up virtually every month except one for About two years, though, the last two months have had a significant downturn. Well, in August, it was a little bit of a downturn. September, it was a big downturn. The the, the freight does seem to find a way to move. There's always a balance, correct? Correct. So, anyway, we want to thank Carl Philhauer. He's the vice president of sales and operations at Circle Logistics, really talking about, I would say, kind of it's not a brand-new market, but it's suddenly a revived market as the Mississippi is pretty dry and the forecast is for it to stay dry. So, Carl, thanks for joining us on Drilling Deep. Thank you, John. You have been watching Drilling Deep. We are, I was going to call us the po- part of the FreightCast family of podcasts because I said that for years when we were all audio. Now we're video. We're on FreightWaves TV. We, sh- we drop every Friday at 2.30. It's always available on demand. It's scheduled at other times. Uh, I've been your host for today, John Kingston, and please join us again.